Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how we doing on this hump day? Uh, well, let's see. In the span of this week, from beginning to end, I will have spent time on a golf course and on a mountain. That's a good week, Carson. That's a good, good week. You're going skiing again? Uh, what do you mean again? It's been like seven, it's been like eight weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, something That's like that. That's crazy. That is not, that is no time flat. Uh, of course I'm going again. Yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough to play golf on Monday in that nice weather. And then we're headed to Red River this weekend for a couple of days with some friends. Going to ski Saturday and Sunday and hopefully be able to watch a little bit of golf in the afternoon as a very windy, rainy Pebble Beach is set to take stage. So, yeah, it's a beautiful week in the Powell House. Yeah, it's a beautiful week. I've been down for the count with some sinus issues, been what my, my wife calls the uh, man cold. Yep. Uh, I've been down with that, uh, so I'm kind of on the mend here today, so feeling a little better. It helped the weather's getting a lot nicer, so I'm excited about that as well. And um, before we get into everything, let's brought, where this podcast is brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Spring is upon us. The spring sports are going to get geared up here very, very soon, so be sure to shop at Chris's. Also, the wrestling team doing very well. They'll get you some of those. I love wrestling, Pete. With the the singlet and the cowboy boots still on, uh, go get you some uh, wrestling Pete gear at Chris's University Spirit. I, I love their uh, their whole motif they have with like that those diagonal chevrons that go down the front of their warm ups. You can get those on shirts as well. I, I, wrestling kind of has their own branding, and I'm and I'm here for it, Colby. Uh, yeah, wrestling Pete is an elite Pete. There are I think probably my two favorite uh, sport specific Petes are wrestling Pete and swinging Pete with the golf club are probably my, my top two. And because I'm such a golf nerd, I'd probably put swinging Pete at number one, but wrestling Pete makes a strong case. Yep. I, I love it. So we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast. Uh, big news this week. The schedule has finally been released for Oklahoma state football. You mentioned Colorado, uh, skiing. Uh, how does November 29th at Boulder sound? Are you going to make a, a ski trip out of this? Oh, man, the wheels are turning. We typically go uh, somewhere like the first or second weekend in December. So I'm wondering, we've got some friends up in Colorado. One of our friends is an alum, graduated from Boulder four or five years ago. And we had talked about this past year. Hey, if Oklahoma State and, and Colorado are ever playing, maybe they'll get lucky and it'll be the last week of the season and we could do a football game slash ski trip. So we might be making that happen. The wheels are definitely turning on a, a potential trip to Boulder next year in late November, early December. Yeah, that'll be fun. So again, the schedule is out. They begin with South Dakota State at home, Arkansas at home, at Tulsa, Utah at home to open Big 12 play, at Kansas State, home against West Virginia, at Baylor, or sorry, at BYU, then at Baylor, Arizona State for homecoming, at TCU, home against Texas Tech, at Colorado. So my first take on this, Colby, was I think this is very manageable. Of course, there are two bye weeks, which we can get into, but I think that, because as we've known, OSU for years has had early bye weeks, and I think it's really affected their health in certain years. Uh, didn't affect them as much this year, but years prior, we obviously know that's been a, a big detriment. I also liked how the schedule's kind of front-loaded. I think that intimidated some fans that, that responded to my tweet about it. Uh, 
but I kind of like once you get to November playing some easier games because as I've mentioned time and time again, once you have a an undefeated season or a one-loss season and you're playing for real stakes for conference championships, uh, those November games, no matter who the opponent, get much, much tougher. So I I like the the front-loaded schedule, Colby. That was kind of my two thoughts, the, the separations of the two bye weeks, which will keep them fresh. Along with you know front loaded uh, schedule, I, I I like it. I think it's very manageable for Oklahoma State. Oh, when it dropped yesterday, I was practically salivating as, as I took a first look at it. Um, the bye weeks are fantastic. I you know West Virginia has the setup where they've got four games by four games by four games, and yes. That kind of seems preferable on its surface, but I don't mind having six games right out of the jump. I think that's something that that won't be overwhelming and that a lot of veteran guys on this team are used to having to grind out stretches like that. And six straight games, um, I don't think that's an, an overwhelmingly big deal. Last year and even the year before, Oklahoma State has got stuck with some really early bye weeks. And with just one this year, everyone in the league will have two, which I think is good. Hopefully teams will be healthier throughout the season. But uh, I really like the fact that that game against Utah is the first conference game of the season. And remember, Cam Rising is coming back off of an injury. He missed an entire year of football. He's going to go nearly two years playing football. And, and obviously the example I'm about to give is an extreme example, but you take some time away. Look what's happened to Deshaun Watson. He went from an all pro player to a very average to mediocre quarterback in the NFL with a couple years off. And obviously some personal issues in there, some reputational damage uh, that could have impacted his confidence and things like that. So again, an extreme example, but you get a guy coming back after two years of not playing football, he's going to have three weeks against, I don't have Utah schedule pulled up, but presumably some cupcake ish games in the non-con. And then you're coming to Stillwater. Uh, welcome to the Big 12, bud. So I, I really like the way that sets up with Utah at the front end. You're going to get Kansas State uh, as, as your first road conference game uh, after playing Utah the week before. I, I really think that it all sets up pretty well. I like the fact that you're going to BYU after a bye week, so that should make that a little uh, less difficult. Colorado, the final week of the season, could be tough depending on the weather and depending on how healthy both teams are. But all in all, top to bottom, I think it's a very manageable schedule for the team that I think should be the – I won't say clear heads and tails favorite. There's so much roster turnover all, all across college football. We'll have to see what some of these other teams look like. But I think Oklahoma State should be the Big 12 favorite heading into next season. And I think the schedule sets up very well. Yeah, and I've I've been calculating it here. Mike Gundy has bounced back. You know, he used to have a losing record in Big 12 openers. But now I believe he is, uh, let's see here. He was 8-8, eight and eight, or he was 7-8 and eight after 2020. He was 8-8 eight and eight after 2021. In Big 12 openers. So he's nine and eight after 2022. And last year at Iowa State. So, so nine and nine. I think that paints a pretty, you know, that's a big, you know, 18 year sample size there. That for whatever the reason, uh, Oklahoma State has struggled in Big 12 openers. That was the one thing I paused about. I think you make some good analysis there about Cam Rising, certainly about Utah entering a new not only a new conference, but certainly a new venue in Boom Pickens Stadium. They might be blown away at how close the fans are because it's their first time going there. Uh, but I do think there is a, a real shift for Oklahoma State as a team, as players and coaches, when they have gone from non-conference, typically some lesser opponents in non-conference play, to that first big step up in Big 12 play. So did I like seeing Utah as the first Big 12? The first thing I actually looked for, Colby, was Big 12 opener, knowing that stat on Gundy and I see Utah and I was like, Oh boy. But then as I read through it, I kind of gave my analysis of it just a minute ago. 
Um, what do you make of Utah opening the Big 12 season? That Did that give you any pause at all, or did you not think much of it? Here's my thing. We knew who the opponents were going to be, so we knew Utah was on the schedule. Um, and for whatever reason, maybe it's just because the games get more important later in the season, and that's when I start watching teams like Utah. But it feels like every year I'm watching a team in Utah that's playing really good football at the end of the season and is used to some of the weather that you see later in the season. I mean, they're going to be coming from Utah to what is presumably going to be a hot, muggy, 94-degree day in Stillwater at the end of September. Um, I, I do think the record to open conference season is odd for Mike Gundy. I mean, this is a, a, a coach winning, I, I don't know, off the top of my head, 67, 70% of his games as a head coach at Oklahoma State, and he's a 500 coach in conference openers. That does give me a little bit of pause just in general every season, but we knew you were going to have to face Utah, and as far as I'm concerned, this is a veteran team for Oklahoma State, going to be one of the more veteran teams in the nation. Um, it's going to be a team with an identity from the jump, going to be the polar opposite of what we saw last year when you had no idea what this team was coming into conference play. This team is going to have a complete identity coming into conference play. Um, I, I think you get some good non-con games to get your feet under you. You've got South Dakota State in week one. That's the reigning FCS champion. You've got Arkansas in week two and then at Tulsa. Those are all games you should win, but they're not absolute cupcake rollovers. So I think Oklahoma State will have their feet under them. And all things considered, you, you had to play Utah at some point. I think I would rather get them right out of the gate um, as Cam Rising is getting back to full speed and as they're just coming into Stillwater for their first Big 12 matchup. I think it's as good a time as any. So uh, going to be a tough game no matter when you play them, but I like it right off the jump. No, those are good points. And again, the the real meat of their schedule is Utah Kansas at Kansas State and then West Virginia at home. Those those are the three opening games in Big 12 play. They combined to win 67% of their games last year. Then between the buys, OSU plays BYU, Baylor, Arizona State, and TCU. They have a 33% win percentage combined. And so that really shows you kind of the tail off as the season progresses. And then they close the year with Texas Tech and Colorado, who won 44% of their games. So you're, you're playing the big boys based on what they did last year at least. Uh, early on in the Big 12 portion. And I like that again, just I think college football teams, when you get in November, they're not the same. They don't look the same. They don't have the same personnel. Uh, teams have schemed you up by the end of November. I really like a front-loaded schedule. So I think those those win percentages kind of paint the picture as well. And, you know, we mentioned Utah playing them early. I really like playing Colorado late. What did we see this year? They come out of the gates. We got Prime. We got Coach Prime in here. We got his son playing quarterback. We... We beat TCU. We're the talk of college football. Well, Coach Prime's body of work for the whole season spoke for itself. That team faded. Uh, they were not equipped to handle a Power 5 conference with the roster they had. And I, I kind of think Prime kind of wears on him a little bit. He was he was pretty red, reticent, or he was pretty eager to kind of throw his players under the bus after losses. And I think that wore on them, and they... They really were a shell of what they were to start the year. So I really like getting Colorado at the end of the season. Uh, yeah, as do I. They were a team last year that struggled with major, major depth issues. I, I mean, he brought his luggage over. And, you know, that, that stuff that was on top of the suitcase, that was Louie. That luggage was Louie. And then he had a bunch of luggage right underneath that. Um, that was the stuff that you see up at the front of Ross and, and you can grab it on a discount. He had a whole <laughs> bunch of that stuff that he brought with him too. So uh, depth was a major factor for Colorado last season. And we're not in, in the ins and outs of that program every day. I imagine it'll still be an issue maybe to a lesser extent next year, but they are so 
top heavy with Shadur and with Travis Hunter that you're getting to the end of the season now. And if those guys suffer injuries, those are just absolute backbreakers for Colorado. Um, so I think, like you said, that's a team that I think early in the season, we saw this last year, ton of speed playing fast, Travis Hunter playing 130 snaps on both sides of the ball. That's really hard to sustain for three months. And they're coming over to the big 12. Um, I do worry my one hesitation is that you're going to get a short week and you're going to go up there at the end of November and it could be frigid and nasty. But I mean, Oklahoma State's played in that weather. The, the BYU game last year was pretty nasty. Oklahoma State's had games over the years uh, in Stillwater that have been just bitter, bitter cold and snow on the ground and stuff. So the elements are part of it. And there might be some of that in Boulder next year. But I, I completely agree with you. I think depth could be an issue for Colorado again. I think that speed could start to slow down by the end of November. And assuming Oklahoma State is healthy, I just can't imagine there are going to be a ton of guys in Boulder really excited to tackle Ollie Gordon in whatever those conditions might be on November 29th. No, totally agree. And it's going to feel kind of weird. Uh, at the end of October and the start of November, uh, OSU will play in Boone Pickens Stadium just once over a six-week period, and that's their homecoming game against Arizona State. And then the bye turns into back-to-back -back road games at BYU and at Baylor. Um, so it's it's a unique schedule. You know, some of these games that are going to be played in the Big 12, Colby, are are non-conference games. Did you see that? Some of the teams that are, that are they're adding, they're going to play a Big 12 opponent. It's not going to count as a as a conference game, which is kind of kind of crazy. And I think. That's, you know, some weird scheduling with two bye weeks, but it feels like the the bye week gods have finally smiled upon them with where those breaks come and, and how you know, obviously getting two of them is is special. But it's going to be kind of weird, isn't it? Only being in Boone Pickens Stadium once in a six-week period. It's going to feel like those Thunder road trips where they go on those kind of West Coast swings and they're gone for like a week and a half, two weeks. Uh, yeah, it is. Just the way the bye weeks fell, I'm, I'm looking at it here. So we'll be there on October 5th. So, I mean, it, it's really front-loaded for home games. You'd be there two weeks in a row to start the season at Tulsa. Um, so, I mean, local people, a lot of Oklahoma State fans in Tulsa might go to the first four games. If you've got season tickets and you wanted to go to the game there in Tulsa, you can go to the first four all throughout um, most of September. And then West Virginia on October 5th, Arizona State on November 2nd, Texas Tech on November 23rd. So not only is it once in six weeks, but from October 5th to the end of the season, Two home games. So um, there won't be a lot of bundling next year for Oklahoma State fans and a lot of warm games. But, yeah, from October 5th through the end of the season, nearly two calendar months, eight weeks, um, is going to be two home games. So that, that will be a little bit odd to have all of our time we spend in Boone Pickens Stadium so front-loaded on the calendar. South Dakota State worry at all? Season opener? I mean, I, I know they're FCS champs. Um you know, South Alabama did happen this past year. You uh, you a little nervous about that one? Yeah, well, once time gets closer, obviously, we'll look more at their roster and how much turnover they've had. But if I'm not mistaken, they're back-to-back -back FCS champs. And just playing a program that is elite, that are elite winners, right? I, I think we can clearly say that. South Dakota State, elite winners. Um, one level down. I don't know, man. We've seen it. When was it a while back? I think it was still when climbing. Was it North Dakota State? They went into Manhattan and won. Like we've seen FCS teams, the elites of the elite at that level, come into uh, Power Five stadiums and win football games. We've seen it. Um, it's a game Oklahoma State should win. It's a game I will pick Oklahoma State to win. But you're going to be playing a, a good football team that knows how to win games. So 
it, it, I think people who don't know anything about South Dakota State will see that and they'll think, oh, 70 to 7. I, I don't think it's 70 to 7. I think it's a game that Oklahoma State will win, but I think if you play poorly out of the gate, then they will absolutely give you a run for your money and you'll be nervous in the fourth quarter. They've gone 29 and 1 over the last two years. Do you know who the one team they lost to happens to be? Oh, man. The fact that you bring it up means it's somebody close. Is it Kansas State? Iowa. Oh, you know, season opener in 2022. Do you know what this final score was? I vaguely remember this game because I remember it being made fun of um, on social media. What was the final? Seven to three, Iowa. Bingo. Yeah, because wasn't Iowa trailing three to nothing for a good chunk of that game and scored like in the fourth quarter to win it? Yeah, I think they had like a defensive touchdown too. Um, or no, I'm sorry. Iowa had a field goal and two safeties. That's what it was. That's why everybody was making fun of it on social media. Yes. I knew that game stuck out for some reason. A field their goal. Their defense and- outscored their offense, and they scored seven total. Oh, my God. That's incredible. That is incredible. I so wish South Dakota State would have won that game to be 30-0 over the last couple of years. But, yeah, I mean, 29-1, yeah, that gives me a little bit of hesitation. Those guys know how to win. Yeah, I mean, that might be Iowa's Mona Lisa. Uh, that might be their best, most <laughs> Iowa win of all time, and that's saying something. But, no, I – I'm with you. I mean, I've, you just look at how South Alabama approached that game against Oklahoma State. They came in confident. They they knew they had a good defense. They they certainly had OSU schemed up pretty well, and they didn't back down. So that's fully what I expect to see out of South Dakota State. You get a winning program. I don't care what level they're at. You win that many times over a course of two years, you're not going to be intimidated. And in fact, you're going to look at it as an opportunity to prove yourselves. You know, they nearly beat Iowa on the road. Uh, they're going to try and do that to Oklahoma State. So that's that's a tricky opener that you, you typically read a, a, a directional school up north, you know, North Dakota State, South Dakota State. And you're like, yeah, they might be good at that level, but not this level. But I, I certainly think they'll they'll present a, a good, solid challenge to to open week one. Um, so you look at the schedule, Colby. Uh, what's your first uh, inclination on on wins and losses? Where are you where are you leaning? Uh, my initial lean is eleven and one. That's my initial lean. Um, not locking myself into that in January, obviously, but I do think Oklahoma State will come out of the non-con unscathed. I've already mentioned my reasons that I like them getting Utah to start the season. I, I think there's a good chance Oklahoma State goes undefeated at Boone Pickens Stadium next year. One of these road games, man, it's, it's just hard to win every road game. You're at Manhattan, uh, Provo, Waco, Fort Worth, and Boulder. Um, I think Oklahoma State will drop one on the road. So my first inclination would be 11-1 and one with the one loss coming somewhere on the road. What do you think? Yeah, that's where I wanted to go. I just, my eyes keep going to that three-game stretch, uh, home against Utah, at K-State, home against West Virginia, and... I just I have a hard time picking them to go eleven and one. I think they might go ten and two is kind of my early pick. Now, having said that, the return of Al this is where the return of Alan Bowman for anyone who had doubts or wanted to turn the page. You and I are not sitting here debating ten and two versus eleven and one with a new quarterback, no matter who it is. Uh, we're looking more at eight and four, you know, maybe nine and three kind of the typical spot for Oklahoma State. Uh, the fact that Alan Bowman returns with all the returning starters on on offense, I, I lean 10-2, and two, but that's just because the season is so long, which we've mentioned, and the war of attrition can happen very quickly in this sport. 
I don't know which two I'm leaning towards, but I think they will ultimately lose two is my, my early lean. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with that. I think 10 and 2 will probably be the most popular projection that people are throwing out for Oklahoma State next year. I'm probably getting a little more aggressive with the 11 and 1. I, I just look around college football at teams um, that have so much turnover constantly and how hard it is to piece that together every Saturday for three months. And then I look at Oklahoma State with so little turnover, right? I, we're talking staff and players, just almost no turnover, bringing everybody back, veteran guys on both sides of the ball, five starting offensive linemen, Doak Walker award-winning running back, uh, 35-year-old quarterback, elite receivers on, on the edge in the slot with Brendan Presley. Um, hopefully the tight end is as good as we think that he can be, the transfer coming over from Ohio. I'm just looking at the juxtaposition between Oklahoma State being so veteran laden and having so much consistency from a coaching and player standpoint. And I'm, I'm contrasting that against the rest of college football where there's so much turnover week in and week out. Uh, I don't think the Kansas State game is going to be as tough as it's been in years past. They lost a bunch of guys to the portal. They're going to be figuring things out at that point in the season. I, I just think that sometimes the stars align and there have been star aligning seasons for Oklahoma state during Gundy's tenure um, in Stillwater. And I think this very well could be another one of those. I, I think the schedule sets up nicely. Um, and I just mentioned all the returning players that I'm bullish about a second year defensive coordinator. Those guys should be more settled in the system. Alan Bowman's second year in the system. I think that you can expect, um, better, more consistent play from him being on the same page with his receivers after getting all the reps all offseason. I, I just think the stars are kind of aligning for Oklahoma State to have a big-time year next year. Um, and I feel comfortable with my 11-1. and one. I think it's a little risky because, like you mentioned, college football can be a war of attrition, but I'm I'm comfortable going out on a little bit of a limb and expecting Oklahoma State to overachieve from – I think most people will probably have them around 9 or 10. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and again, it – Obviously, having all the returning starters on offense is a huge reason to pick Oklahoma State to win a bunch of games. But again, so much of this comes down to quarterback play. Uh, Barry Trammell wrote a really good column on selloutcrowd.com. You know, Oklahoma State's a among the 68 Power Four conference teams, at least 40 are expected to have a new starting quarterback in 2024. So the teams with a veteran quarterback would seem to have an advantage. And Mike Gundy makes some really good points here as well. It's it's It seems obvious on the surface, but when you really step back and think about it and those numbers I just gave of non-incumbent quarterbacks taking over, Mike Gundy said, quote, defenses are more complex. That affects quarterbacks from a maturity standpoint, making mistakes, correcting them, so on and so forth. The second year, he just learns the system. He gets comfortable. They get experience in the system. Ewers, meaning Quinn Ewers, the Texas quarterback, his first year he was pretty average, right? Or average, as Gunny would say. He might have been below average, but as he's learned what Sark does and wants him to do, he's played better. That's pretty, you know, I think another thing when people dissected Alan Bowman's season last year, they didn't give enough credence to the fact he wasn't getting the full reps as the number one. Wasn't even getting that much playing time when you think about splitting into thirds. That is critical with a new roster you're playing with, the timing with receivers, which we saw was an issue once Bowman even became the full-time starter. Um, the fact he's coming back and obviously his age and, and the amount of years he's played college football certainly helps. But just for the simple fact, it's year two. I don't think we've even seen what Alan Bowman can really be in OSU's offense, and that that's really exciting. Yeah, I, I think some of the people who 
um, had the idea that it would be better to move on. I understand how they got there, but I think some of that stemmed from the analysis that this is an old player who's been around college football for a long time and is being evaluated as this seasoned veteran. And he very much was not that. This is a guy who had been... He hadn't played football in several years. Um, he bounced around systems. He came in. He he was not handed the keys to to the car last year. He was uh, in a rotation of drivers who all got in, and every time they got in, they didn't know if they were driving a stick shift or a manual or what the make and model was, and he just kind of had to figure it out as he was going, and they made it work to the tune of 10 wins and a Big 12 championship game appearance and, and winning the final bedlam. Like, that was all in year one. He didn't start getting all the first-team reps until, what, the, the week going into the Iowa State game? And now he gets them all offseason. He gets to work with Rashad Owens, Brendan Presley, and DeJon Stribling all offseason. He gets his, his starting five returning offensive line. He's going to have Ollie Gordon right out of the gate. That's something that took a month to get into the system last year. I just... I understand people being frustrated by the interceptions, but just because he's old doesn't mean that he came into Stillwater last year as a seasoned veteran. This wasn't Bo Nix. This wasn't 60 starts that you were bringing into Stillwater. This was a guy who hadn't played football in three or four years and wasn't getting the first team reps. And now he is the undisputed starter. And I think that you can expect to see an improvement from Alan Bowman. I think Casey Dunn started to get really comfortable with how he was using Rashad Owens and Brennan Presley specifically um, with Brennan in the quick game and Rashad Owens stretching the defense, making them defend down the sidelines. You combine that with the fact that teams are going to have to deal with Ollie. I'm just, I'm very bullish about this offense. And I think we will see a better Alan Bowman in year two at Oklahoma State than what we saw in year one. And if that's the case, uh, then I feel even, even more bullish about this team winning more than 10 games um, and potentially being a participant in the first 12 team playoff, which uh, what a great year for that thing to expand because if it was still at four, I don't know if the national perception of the big 12 without OU and Texas would be good enough for Oklahoma state to get there with a loss. But now I think Oklahoma state could probably get there with one or two losses if they win the conference. So um, again, uh, stars aligning Carson, it might be happening. It might. Uh, the national media is certainly waking up. I saw Stuart Mandel, Stewie, uh, who we've discussed many, many times for being completely lost on conference realignment. He had Oklahoma State 10th in his revised preseason way too early top 25. So maybe we'll start to see some people waking up to the the consistency that Mike Gundy has shown at Oklahoma State with the fact it's a new, a new look conference as well. No OU in Texas to deal with. So Colby, you and I have gotten rich off the preseason win totals from Vegas on Oklahoma State for years. I mean, they, for whatever reason, they're always one and a half to two games too low in the win column. Uh, what what number do you think Vegas comes with? And what what number is our is our hammer zone? When is it hammer time? Uh, uh, two good questions. Two different answers. I think, again, Vegas is so disrespectful to Oklahoma State, but I think they'll see what, it, what all is coming back. No OU on the schedule. I think Vegas chalks that one up as a loss every year. I think they're going to put the win total at nine. I I, I do. I think Oklahoma State's going to get more respect this year. I think the win total is going to be set at nine for the Cowboys. And if they come in disrespectfully low at like seven and a half, then we hammer. We empty the account on the over if they come in <laughs> disrespectfully low at like seven and a half. What, what, what well, do you think? Well, you and I were – we didn't we didn't drop the hammer last year because we we had too many questions at quarterback 
And boy, were we relieved after the way the season started with South Alabama and Iowa State, but they they still got there. Um, for me, I I I just think they're going to come lower than we expect because they typically do. I might see them put it at eight and a half, and I would hammer that. I, I think I think three losses you win the bet. Um, I I I think that's a a solid bet. Now, you might be right; they might come with nine, maybe even nine and a half. Shoot, if they're getting preseason. You know, if they're in a bunch of preseason top tens, top fifteens in the AP poll, I think Vegas will would certainly have to adjust. Um, but as we know, Oklahoma State typically doesn't get that level of recognition. So maybe Vegas goes toward that direction if if OSU's higher ranked than normal. But anything lower than than nine, I think, is, is hammer time. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I guess when I think hammer, I think like empty the account hammer at eight and a half. I, I think I could certainly stand to put a couple of units on the over. I don't know if it'd be full hammer time because seven or seven and a half, I think you're injury proof. Like even if, if Bowman were to go down in week one, I think that this team could win eight games next year with everything they would have around either Flores or Rangel. Now, if that were to happen and it was at eight and a half and you've only got three games of wiggle room there, I think you could be a, a little bit in danger. Um, so I'll, I'll use, Different metric, uh, different words than hammer. I'll say at seven and a half, I empty the account. At eight and a half, I'm putting uh, probably two to three units on the over. How, how's that? No, that's a good point. I think if if I had my checkbook open, I think I would be thinking along, <laughs> thinking along more of those lines as far as emptying the account. But um, it'll be interesting to see what Vegas does because again, they they're perennially just so low on OSU. I even saw a stat on Twitter. I wish I had it in front of me. Oklahoma State has like an underdog against against the spread. I think they're like the best in the country. I think they have the most wins in the country as far oh, yeah. as being an underdog against the spread. Yeah, they're phenomenal. They've been underrated Gundy's entire tenure. I'll be very curious to see what the line is. I, and I know we're talking about totals here, but the line on the Oklahoma State-Utah game, because that's the Gundy-Whittingham, right? Um, Kyle Whittingham, obviously phenomenal. Uh, the poor man, Spike Gundy, as he's known around my house. Um I'll be very curious because I think sometimes Whittingham gets more respect than what Gundy gets because Utah started at that lower level and elevated. Um, that'll that'll be – Oklahoma State's going to be favored. They're at home. But I think Utah might get some respects from the books there too. Uh, Gundy and, and Oklahoma State just haven't historically gotten the respect from Vegas. No, they haven't. So that's our football update. Oh, we have one more note on football. Oklahoma State, according to McLean Baxley from 247 Sports, is hiring Byron Robinson Jr. He was a graduate assistant for Tulsa for the past couple of years. Uh, he's going to be an assistant defensive backs coach. I'm not sure what that means staffing-wise. We'll have to wait and see what Mike Gundy announces his staff officially. But a uh, young guy, played football at Abilene Christian, graduated in 2020, so a young kind of up-and-comer that he takes off of Tulsa's staff. So that's some staff-related news for Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy. But, again, we'll have to wait and see. I know there's been some shake-up at D-line with, with Greg Richmond parting uh, parting ways with him. So we'll have to see when Mike announces his official staff. But that was some news that broke today. Uh, Yeah, not not a ton of huge reactions there. Um, Just one of those staff changes that takes place in the offseason. You don't think much of it. And then as long as everything goes well during the season, you, you continue to not think a whole lot of it. One of those that only really raises eyebrows if something goes wrong. So, um, yeah, just a, a run-of-the-mill off-season staff change. Well, what's run-of-the-mill now is OSU men's basketball. Uh, they lose 83-54 to at Kansas. No shocker there. And it, it really struck me, Colby. Uh, well, first, this stat's pretty crazy. Boynton had a chance to become 
the second Oklahoma State coach to win an Allen Fieldhouse since Henry Iba. Uh, that's a just ludicrous stat. Uh, Travis Ford obviously had a chance to, too, because he did win there as well, um, which is so strange that Eddie Sutton never won there, but Ford and Boynton have. That's just that's a wild trivia stat there. Okay, um, so you win twice. You're saying to win twice in Allen Fieldhouse. Yes, Boynton had a chance last night to be, become the second coach since I would have went twice in Allen Fieldhouse. That's, I, I may have said that wrong initially, uh, which I, is a crazy stat. But what really struck me, though, Colby, is – and I wasn't watching that close. And I was like, let's get on Twitter and see what people are saying about it. I, I couldn't find a single tweet about Oshie men's basketball. And I think that speaks to the apathy that has now just become the existence of Oshie basketball now. I think people have gotten fired up for Mike Boynton, but I think the apathy that we saw at the end of Travis Ford's tenure, it's it's hitting hard and it's hitting in droves. And they were really non-competitive against Kansas. Yeah, they were. And um Apathy is a good word for it, and and I fell into that last night as well. We had uh, toddler gymnastics, got home, did the bedtime routine. We're done. It's like 8.30. I come in. I turn the game on. It was 33-15. to 15. I mean, Kansas was a 16-and-a-half-point favorite, and seven minutes into the game, they're already covering. I'm like, oh, woof, and that was the extent of the time that, that my Tuesday night I, I gave to Oklahoma State basketball. I just um, – I didn't have it in me to sit there for another hour and a half and just watch him get drilled. I missed the Bryce Thompson injury early in the game. That's obviously terrible, and you hope he's okay. I uh, do want to give him some credit for w- winning on Remember the 10-Day, getting it done at home against West Virginia. That was a, a great moment um, in a season of very few of them, and, and last night was just brutal. You know, you, you say Boynton had a chance to become the first coach to win there twice. And, uh, I don't know. It didn't really feel that way. Didn't really feel like he had a chance to do that last night. So <laughs> well, until he tipped it off. <laughs> yes. Up until the ball was in the air. Um, yeah, it's just tough right now. Oklahoma state basketball is really down. Um, young guys who, who don't know how to win, who aren't playing good basketball. Uh, the defense is atrocious, which has been a theme throughout the season. So, um, I just really don't see it getting a ton better. Maybe you can beat Kansas State in GIA on Saturday, but the schedule is just so brutal. And when you've got a team that just doesn't really seem to be very good, it, it's hard to pick them to win many of those games, especially if Bryce is out. You're going to need a lot more from John Michael Wright. He had a good offensive game last night, but they were just never really competitive. So it's just tough right now to to be an Oklahoma State basketball fan knowing that um, – Hope isn't really around the corner. It, it just feels like they're going to keep losing games for the next six weeks. Yeah, I wanted to hop on OSU's like history, kind of go through the the tenures of different coaches. And Mike Boynton's resume now is is eerily similar to Paul Hansen's. Um, it's kind of crazy to look at. So I'm going to read. Uh, which do you want first, Boynton's then Hansen's or Hansen's then Boynton's? Uh, give me Boynton's first. Boynton is um, so first year, twenty one and fifteenth. Sixth in the conference, 12 and 20, ninth in the conference, 18 and 14, tied seventh, 21 and nine, fifth, 15 and 15, T fifth, 20 and 16, seventh. Paul Hansen, that's one one season above 500 conference play, by the way. Paul Hansen, 10 and 17, eighth. And again, this is the big eight, so dead last. 18 and nine, fifth, 15 and 12, fifth, 24 and seven, third, 13 and 15, seventh. 12 and 16, eighth, 15 and 13, sixth. So Paul Hansen had two seasons in Big 12 play above 500 in conference play. My boys had one. That was with Kate Cunningham. And you just look at the finishes, the amount of wins. It's 
it's pretty similar, which to me is pretty damning because Paul Hansen, while a great guy and all that, from what I understand, was not a successful basketball coach at Oklahoma State, and he was fired after that that last year I read off. So um, it's not looking good. You look at the body of work, and uh, that's that's kind of where OSU Hoops is now. We're kind of back in the Paul Hansen malaise before Leonard Hamilton for a short period of time, and then Eddie Sutton got things rolling again. So it's OSU has kind of regressed back to what they've been since after Henry Iba and before Eddie Sutton, really. That's that's really what it comes down to. And I and I still have this hope and belief of what OSU basketball should be. And then I look at those things I just read to you, the 10 years after Iba or the, the tenure after Iba, those coaches, uh, and then before Eddie and since Eddie. And this might just be what OSU basketball is until the administration gets it right. I mean, I, I look what Oklahoma's doing. You know, you look at the history of Oklahoma basketball over the last 40 years, it's way better than Oklahoma State. Way better. Every coach they've had's made an Elite Eight that they've hired uh, of the last, since Kelvin, uh, Kelvin, Capel, Kruger, and Porter. Uh, they've all made an Elite Eight, at least. And the rest of them, besides Capel, have made a Final Four. For whatever reason, and they play in that just Lloyd Noble Center, uh, just doesn't even compare to Gallagher-Iba Arena. The, the fandom doesn't even compare. And it's hard. I mean, you just look at the facts. OU's been a better basketball program. And now you look at what Porter Moser's doing, winning on the road at Kansas State. They seem to be going in the right direction in, in less time than Mike Boynton's had. And that's – it's pretty – OSU basketball's back to kind of the, the seller, which is where they've been, unfortunately, for the better part of 40 years. Yeah, it's – um. Man, when you lay it out like that, it's tough because you have these eras that are unbelievable, right? That are, you know, shaping our childhoods unbelievable. Just so much fun to be an Oklahoma State basketball fan. And then you have these long stretches of mediocrity where they just can't seem to get it right. And I, I do think that there will be more eras of, of great Oklahoma State basketball. Like, I don't think Oklahoma State's just never going to have a great basketball team again, but it's hard to see that right now. And it's hard to imagine it anytime soon because it has fallen so far. We, we do exist in an era of transfer portal and NIL and all these other things, but um, boy, hopping in the portal and coming to Stillwater just doesn't seem overly appealing right now. Whenever you've got all these other programs doing all these exciting things, we saw what the student section looked like when Oklahoma state went down and played in Lubbock. And that's a, a major contrast to what you're seeing at Gallagher arena right now. And I, I get it. I, I haven't been to GIA this year. Uh, I'm not going to, to go to any games this year. It's, it's not, a good product. I live in Oklahoma city. I have, I have a one-year-old for us to load up and go to Stillwater and take a day to go to a basketball game. That's a day. That's a process. That's money. Um, it's hard for people to do. It's hard for people with kids to do. And it's something that you go out of your way to do to watch a winner. And it's something that you, you just don't make part of your schedule and take time to do whenever the team isn't winning games. So, uh, that's the reality right now. And, and for the near future for Oklahoma state basketball, I, I think the Boynton era is on life support. I don't imagine it will last in the next season and the administration is going to have to get it right and get somebody in that um, has all of the personal qualities of Mike Boynton and all of the winning qualities of Eddie Sutton. Is that, am I being greedy? Is that too much to ask? Uh, that's asking a lot. <laughs> that would cost a lot of money. The big ask. Yeah, I know. It's just, um, 
I just want Oklahoma State basketball to return to a place of prominence or, or at least to a program that we can be proud of and that I want to turn the TV on. Like last night, I didn't even bother turning it on on my phone to, to watch it while we were getting the kiddo around. I'm like, ah, I'll check in and see how they're doing, see if they're competitive. And as soon as I turned it on, I was like, nope. And I turned it back off. Um, it's, it's not even fun to watch these games right now. So I just want to get back to a point where we have a fun basketball team to watch. Yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, we mentioned on the last last show, you know, Doug Gottlieb is consulting with OSU basketball and Barry Trammell on his YouTube page had an interview with with Doug. It's really good. I encourage people to go watch it. He really kind of takes you into the process that of him and Mike being competitors for the job and then how they slowly over time have become really good friends. Uh, it kind of surprised me. Doug says they talk five to six, five to six days a week. And Mike, and if you if you're concerned about the work rate of Mike Boynton or if he's not, you know, do, doing everything he can to succeed, that couldn't be further from the truth. Listening to Doug tell it, he says, quote, seeing all he does is eye opening. He does a lot of things people don't see relationships with the athletic department, staff, players. That was a real learning session for me. And Mike does not have hobbies. I want him to get a hobby. He just loves ball and his family, no hobbies and no ego. A lot of people say they don't have an ego and it's not true. That's definitely the case with Mike. And Doug went on to say that, you know, he was, I can't, I'm trying to get him to play golf. When I come into town, I like to go play pickleball. And uh, he, he never wants, he doesn't, doesn't do that. He doesn't have any hobbies. So I think Mike is obviously spending every waking hour he has to succeed. He's just not. And uh, he has the rest of the season to try and turn things around. But Mike knows this. He's said it a hundred times now. It's a results-based business. And, you know, uh, Weiberg and Shrum will ultimately have to make that decision when it comes. But uh, it was it was interesting hearing Doug talk about not only how involved he was or is with OSU basketball, but just kind of some insight behind the scenes on what Mike Boynton does on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, that's uh, from everything we've heard about Mike Boynton, like basketball is his life. And, and then he loves to spend time with his family. But hearing things like these just make me feel so much worse for Mike Boynton that he hasn't been able to get it right because it's it's an obsession. It's his entire life is consumed by trying to get it right. And um, and he just hasn't been able to. And there have been a lot of things that go into that. And, you know, for years, for years, I, I made sure to bring up everything that was happening with the NCAA because that was, um, you know, just an extenuating circumstance that he had no control over. But but now we're to the point where this is just a big sample size of teams that have long offensive droughts and, and now you know previously a lot of Mike Boynton's teams have been able to keep themselves in games by playing good defense this team doesn't do that I just um yeah hearing all those stories about how obsessed he is it just makes you feel even worse for him because he's devoting his entire life to getting it right and they can't get it right and what, what do you do in that situation so um I'm still a Mike Boynton fan but Oklahoma State basketball I, I think is going to need a reboot so um, I have not been able to watch that interview, but it is on my list of, of things to do. I was surprised to hear that they're talking five to six days a week based on how it was originally presented as, as him as kind of an advisor and occasionally sitting in five to six days a week. Surprised me. That's, that's pretty regular. And that's going over, I would think just about everything with a fine tooth comb. Yeah. He, um, he, he really dives into that whole process. It's, it's interesting. Listen, shout out to Barry Trammell for that. Uh, they get Kansas State Saturday at home at 1 o'clock, then on the road at Houston uh, at 6 o'clock Tuesday evening. When Houston ranked, of course, fourth in the country. Then after that, it's Bedlam at Oklahoma February 10th, so um, two weeks from Saturday. So 
things aren't getting any easier. Then it's, you know, ranked BYU 22nd at Cincinnati, Oklahoma, on down the list. It's, um, it's going to be a long slog home. Yeah, it is. I, I don't see it getting just a ton better for Oklahoma state. I, I don't know. Maybe they get, um, a couple more, but it, it's going to, the, the record at the end of the season is going to look pretty rough. Yep. Uh, I was happy to see this, uh, shifting gears to the NFL, Zach Robinson named offensive coordinator at the Atlanta Falcons, kind of new look staff with Raheem Morris. Uh, Zach's been, you know, in the NFL circles for a while now, since 2019, uh, he's an assistant quarterbacks coach, worked his way up to a pass game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Now he gets the chance to be a coordinator, uh, offensive coordinator with the Atlanta Falcons. And I hope he does really well. Uh, I'm curious how much he wants to return to college because he is now way more of a high-profile candidate for Oklahoma State's head coaching job should Mike Gundy ever retire. Oh, big time. Yeah, I, I can't imagine he would want to return to college. I think he's kind of um, taking the route that we've seen a lot of guys from that McVay tree take. And, man, if they can get him a quarterback in Atlanta, and I have to imagine that they're not going to go into next season with Desmond Ritter. I, I think that Fields is the play there. I don't know if they're going to go out and be aggressive to go try to get Justin Fields or, or Kirk Cousins, whatever. Um, Kirk Cousins would be more of a Band-Aid where Fields could be more of a foundational piece. But I, I don't know. I just think if they can get anybody competent in there at the quarterback position, then Zach could have that offense really humming. I think Drake London is a seriously underrated receiver because of the systems that he's played in. I think Bijan is a really good player. I, I really don't know how good Kyle Pitts is, but um, I think Zach could really do some things down in Atlanta and could become a hot NFL head coaching candidate. Everybody likes these young um, offensive minds, especially the guys that come from the McVay and Shanahan tree. So I think that his star is going to continue to rise in the NFL. And I don't know. I, I think that he's probably pretty happy in that league. So who knows? Maybe it's another 5, 10, 15 years before Gundy retires, and who knows where Zach Robinson will be in his career at that point. He would obviously be a name that Oklahoma State fans would love. But if you're asking me, you know, would he rather take the the Rams job if it opens in five years or the Oklahoma State job if it opens in five years, I have to imagine that the answer would be the Rams. So I think that he'll he'll stay in the NFL for his his coaching career if he's able, but I'm very happy for him, and I can't wait to see – his offense as he's now getting a chance to take the reins. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to see it. Um, I'm with you. I, you know, I've gotten to know Zach a little bit over the years. We actually had him on this podcast. Kyle Porter and I did a live event down in Fort Worth many, many years ago. And he was our kind of our live guest, which was a ton of fun. And I could see him going to college, but just knowing Zach is, he's, he's a very, I don't want to say quiet or timid, but he's just a very at ease personality. If that makes sense. When you, when you're around him, you just feel at ease. He doesn't seem very kind of aggro like what you see with some college coaches on the recruiting trail. Like those just relentless recruiter types. I just, I don't see him being that type, like in a recruits living room being pushy. That just doesn't really strike me as no, people have all sorts of different recruiting styles. Um, I don't think Mike Gundy's certainly aggro at all. I think he's very more, much more on the laid back side of things too. Just getting to know him a little bit, his personality, the fact he has so much experience down in the NFL. I think it's a harder transition to go from NFL to college than vice versa. It's kind of where I sit on it. Yeah, I think so too, because there's just so much more you have to deal with in the college game. And it's, they're adding more to their plates every year. It's why uh, Mike Gundy's revitalized passion for college football is, is so incredible because it's changed so much and he's been able to evolve 
you've got to deal with NIL now. You've got to deal with collectives. You've got to deal with the portal. You've got to recruit high school kids. You've got to recruit JUCO kids. You've got to recruit kids from every school around the country. Um, you've got to recruit your own kids every year. Like college football head coach, I just – it doesn't seem like there's many days off if you really want to be great. And some of these coaches are just crazy, obsessed psychopaths about it. And I get it because – it's it's big time money. It's big time college football, and there's so much that goes into it in the NFL. Uh, unless you're like a, a Belichick that wants to have full organizational control, you're presented with your roster. You go out and coach and implement your game plans and, and study the film. And don't get me wrong; those guys are putting in crazy hours. But um, I think it's significantly more difficult to be a college football head coach. And you know, you, you go to the NFL if you win at that level. That's, to me, the ultimate glory, unless you do something like what Saban has done in college football. So I think if you can succeed at that level, I, I don't see too many guys making the choice to come back down to the college level um, just to go to their alma mater or do something of that nature. Even I, I mean, we saw Harbaugh do that, and he won one, and he's like, all right, cool, I'm out of here. I'm going to go try to do it at the next level. Um, I, I think Zach Robinson will be in the NFL for a long time, and hopefully he's as good as, as everybody thinks he is because if he could be one of these – I don't know, McDaniel-type guys, then that could be a lot of fun for Oklahoma State fans to watch him do that, even at that level. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he lights it up in Atlanta. He'll be getting head coaching interviews. Everyone likes the young, you know, hot new offensive coordinator that, um, you know, is known for offense. So it's going to be fun to watch Zach's career as he moves to Atlanta. Let's get to the Yingling Toast of the Week, brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. Be sure to check out the traditional lager. I was in on cue the other day. I saw a guy loading up. On some Yingling loggers. Uh, I was happy to see that. So be sure to stop at your local gas stations, uh, grocery stores, things of that nature. Pick up Yingling. So without further ado, what's your toast of the week? Rodrigo! Malcolm <laughs> Rodriguez! He gets on the field against the Niners. Finally, we get some Rodrigo in our lives. And, I mean, just some of the best quarterback to linebacker chemistry in the entire land. Brock Purdy drops back. And when he sees Malcolm Rodriguez, he can't help himself. He's got to send one his direction. And of course, Malcolm made the play. Um, I was so happy for him to be out there. I was truly, truly devastated, heartbroken for the lions that they lost that game on Sunday. But I was also thrilled to see Malcolm Rodriguez out there and have a chance to make a big play in a big moment like that. Um, you know, they continued to draft at linebacker after he got there and he's been bumped down the depth chart a little bit, but he was able to get on the field and make a play. And he's just a really, really easy guy to root for. So I was happy to see Malcolm Rodriguez running down the field with a Brock Purdy interception in his hands, something we saw during their time in college. That was just a gut-wrenching loss. My gosh. The wor worst of the worst. I I can't imagine the actual diehard Lions fans. Like, I'm just an outside guy looking in. The diehard Lions fans, they're going to be sick for months. Yeah. I mean, Dan Campbell, you got you got to kick field goals, man. Like, I get this is what you've done all year, and that's how you got to this point. But the NFL is not college. You get, on average, about nine to ten possessions for the game. Much different than college. You have to get points when you can get them, especially when you're down three and your kicker is 85% from uh, 40 to 49 yards. I just, I thought Dan Campbell really let them down. And with his, speaking of aggro, how, how aggro was that? 
Uh, I think that Dan Campbell should have kicked in one of the two second half scenarios. I forget which one. It was the closer field goal. I think he should have kicked because the one that was from 50 plus Badgley's not very good from 50 plus. I, I thought that that was the right decision. The, what I thought was a bad decision by Dan Campbell. I think that at the end of the first half, you need a yard. It's fourth down. There's no time left. That's when you're aggressive, in my opinion, because you can almost just deliver a death blow if you go up 21 at halftime. Going up 17 gives your team this tightness that they're all going to clinch up and we've got to protect this lead, but it's not a big enough lead. Whereas being up 14, your team comes out with more energy. I thought he should have gone for it at the end of the first half to try to deliver the death blow and you're still up 14 if it doesn't work. And then one of those two, the one that was inside 50 yards, I thought he should have kicked in the second half. Obviously, they lose the game, so we're going to second guess all of it. But um, the heartbreak is is something no one will second guess. That's very real. But, yeah, I don't know. Crazy thing, and he should have gone for it at the end of the first half. I just thought situation, momentum dictated it with, with San Francisco on their heels before you went into the well, locker room. That's, that's why I was so shocked. Like, you kicked at the end of the half. Yeah. you got to stick with that. You can't change then like i thought that was the right call to kick the field goal get get up three scores going into half and if he just kicks field goals i mean who knows if he makes them or not but it's a perfect weather day again he was 85 percent from the range he didn't go for with the 46 to 48 yarder i can't remember the exact yardage there but uh, no it was good to see rodrigo I, I thought he made plays as soon as he got on the field there was a third down where he was kind of spying in the middle of the field went up and made a play to force a punt and it was good to see him take advantage of his opportunity because i I know Detroit's drafted over him, and that rookie was really good at linebacker, but he's too good of a player to be on the sidelines. I'm sorry. Uh, mine is going to go to the newest national champions at Oklahoma State. The Oklahoma State Cornhole team brought home a national championship. Uh, pretty, pretty cool. Uh, they have the largest cornhole club in the country, which if you've ever been tailgating in Stillwater, that should come as no surprise. Uh, they practice weekly. They do tournaments with each other and play for many, many hours. So Oklahoma State, uh, I don't know if they're going to hang a banner in Gallagher-Iba per se, Colby, but uh, hey, she's winning national titles still. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I didn't know that, and Oklahoma State should hold the Cornhole National Championship. This should become a dynasty. With the way Oklahoma State tailgates, uh, Cornhole's a very big deal around here. If you've got some committed kids that put some time into it, that should become a dynasty. So uh, great shout-out, Yingling Toast of the Week, to the Oklahoma State Cornhole Club on the national championship. And can I pour one out real quick? Absolutely. This this brings me no pleasure. This this hurts to do. I got I got to pour out a six pack from our, for our boy Todd Munkin. Yep. Oh man, I wanted to talk about Todd Munkin, but I didn't want to talk about Todd Munkin. You go first. I mean, the Chiefs are twenty eighth in the NFL in run defense. Uh, the Ravens are, I think, number one, and their running backs got six carries. For the entire game, I think, I think the Ravens panicked, and I think Todd Munkin panicked when they see Mahomes and Kelsey slice and dice right through them on the opening drive. They completely abandoned who they are, let alone their game plan. And again, we all know Lamar struggles in the playoffs. Those are that's a real thing. Um, but I thought Todd Munkin had a howler of a game. I mean, just an absolute howler, which diminishes such a great year that he already had. I mean, he basically won Lamar the MVP. Um, I could not believe they did not run the football in that game because it wasn't like they were down four touchdowns. I mean, the game was within reach the whole time. It wasn't just 
that they didn't run the football. Look, I, I have not watched every game for every team that Todd Munkin's called throughout his career, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find me a worse one than the clunker that he ran out there on Sunday. They, they refused to run the ball in a game that was within reach the entire way. Like the game was just within reach from start to finish. Um, it looked like it was going to be a shootout early and then both defenses settled in and it was just a, a dogfight the rest of the game. But not only did they not run the ball, but Kansas City continued to blitz Lamar Jackson, just bringing six and seven guys over and over again. And Baltimore kept drawing up these downfield routes that had Lamar Jackson making 35 and 40-yard throws, trying to squeeze it in between a corner and a safety with six and seven guys coming at him. I'm like, what are you doing? I, I, I could not make sense of any of it. I couldn't make sense of Gus Edwards touching the ball three times when on the three times he touched it, he looked like he was ready to just barrel people over. Justice Hill barely touched the ball. I think anyone who listens last week knows I was very bullish on Baltimore. I think that they were undoubtedly the best team in the NFL this season, but it's a single elimination tournament. And if you go out and lay a major clunker, then you're done. You're going home and everybody's second guessing every decision you made all off season. And I think Todd Munkin made some really really bad ones on Sunday. Um, I also think Carson that one thing I didn't take into account last week, the chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, they've got a little bit of the tiger effect going right now. You remember tiger in his prime. I, I mean, guys would have chances to beat him and they would just crumble, just make mistake after mistake after mistake. And then tiger would make pars and he would win the golf tournament because they were terrified of what he could do. If, if he was given the opportunity, I think the chiefs have some of that going right now. And we saw it in a major way Sunday with Baltimore Lamar played his worst game of the season. Say flowers had the worst three minute stretch. You might ever see a football <laughs> player have in, in your entire life uh, with a bad taunting penalty, a fumble that maybe literally fumbled the game away. And then he goes to the sideline and cuts his hand, punching the bench and throwing his helmet. It was just a complete collapse. And I think it's somewhat due to the tiger effect that the chiefs have going right now. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty stunning. The plays that Kelsey in particular was making. I think that really kind of shook them up just as an entire organization. And I mean, Todd's first run to Gus Edwards goes for 15 yards. And he ends up with I think two carries, three carries max. It just it 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 made no sense. So anyway, that was a I mean, it's been a sad podcast. A lot of negativity today. We, we need to end on a positive note. Um, I'm going skiing. That's positive. We can talk about that again if you want to. Yeah, that's positive. Um, don't injure yourself, okay? I know you're you're the most fragile young guy I know. I'll, I'll do my best to be careful. Uh, also. My driver came in on Monday and I got to hit it for the first time. The new AI smoke. Ooh, buddy. It is um, however many flame emojis you can fit into a tweet. However, max amount of characters you can fit in there. It is hot, hot, hot. So well, we'll have to play again. We'll have to take take odds on our scores since I was sandbagging apparently last time. I'm going to have to uh, adjust my my lines on some holes because I'm upgrading like seven years in technology and I've been doing some speed training. So I'm just hitting it way further with this new driver, you know, number seven out at the greens. A lot of people listening are probably familiar with it. It's a dog leg. I hit driver and I nuked it. It was a great shot up there. It's just going to be just short left of the bunker and it carried way too far and landed on the cart path and bounced 40 yards forward out of bounds. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to dial in my lines a little bit with my, my new carry distance. I'm excited to see it. All right, that, that's a positive note. We'll we'll end on that one.
But, uh, Colby, it's been good to be with you, and we'll get back with you next week. Yes, sir. Appreciate everyone for listening. As always, have a great weekend. Go, folks.